Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten Podcast. Joining me on this rip is Mark from Skilling Mining, based out of Ireland, mining Bitcoin from biogas. Yep, you heard it here first. It's happening here in Europe as well, as in the US, where they're flaring natural gas and waste gas and methane to mine Bitcoin. We're doing the same now here across this side of the pond, and these guys have nailed it. I really hope that you're going to reach out afterwards because you're going to be inspired by what you hear. I hope you enjoy this rip with Mark. Thank you for coming on, brother. Before we get into the show, a little bit of housekeeping. Please do your housekeeping. Make sure you're stacking sats as best you can. Any way that you can stack is a good way at Bitcoin at these prices. So if you're earning, that's brilliant. You may as well just plug your wage into. But if you want to start a DCA, a dollar cost average, or an FCA, a fiat cost average plan, there are a few options out there for you, Bitcoin-only companies. You've got swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten in the US. That will unlock free $10. You have Relay, R-E-L-A-I dot C-H forward slash bitten, based here on the European side of the globe. They are the Swan Bitcoin of Europe. You can smash by with these guys, set up your plan, download the app, very quick to use, and they've got a brilliant interactive experience there. Coincorner.com. They are based on the Isle of Man. They will serve you in euros and pounds. They are going to be expanding big time into the Middle East. I've got a show coming up soon with Danny Scott. He's going to tell us about everything that's been going on with the royal family over there. Hoddle Hoddle are your option if you want to get KYC sats and just go peer to peer. If you do not want to use any of the apps or any of the exchanges, if you just want to go peer to peer, download Hoddle Hoddle. Hoddlehoddle.com forward slash bitten will save you on commissions. They are also the organizers of the Baltic Honey Badger Conference, which will be again in September of next year. So make sure you take a close look at getting some tickets for that. Once you've got your coins, or if you've got some coins already, do you want to check out a coin join service, which will improve your privacy? You can use wasabiwallet.io just by downloading it directly from your laptop, creating a new wallet, hit receive address, run some coins through the service, see how it works. Is this something that you are interested in following up? Then do your own research. What are the other services out there and start the, uh, the discussion with other people that are using these services and see which one's going to work best for you if you decide to do it. Shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten. Use the code bitten. That will get you 5% off of the Bitbox O2 Bitcoin only edition hardware wallet. There is so many people out there that have yet to go and self custody their Bitcoin. Not your keys, not your coins. If they're on an exchange or an app, that app could get hacked or worse, go bankrupt. Take control. 
please. Here's my rip with Mark. We are recording. Finally, Mark. Finally, we are recording. <laughs> How you doing, brother? Good, good. How are you getting on, Daniel? Very well, mate. Very well. Um, yeah, so finally recording because of Zoom problems and trying to find our way around a, a different Google Hangouts or Jitsi, but also finally recording since watching you guys launch your product and having many discussions with with Stuart and Connie, who are obviously very both uh, both very close to the project. Uh, and now, well, since meeting you in Amsterdam, uh, one of the tallest motherfuckers I think I've met. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to take that mantle at least anyway. This is maybe the tallest Bitcoiner. I'm not too sure, but it's something that I can at least put my name to at the moment. What, what, what do you stand at? Uh, I think it's 6'6". Six, six. On my last measure, which was probably three or four years ago when I was in school, but I haven't since then, so who knows? Six six. What does a six six, um, you know, cut dude like yourself do with his spare time? What were you doing? What was the sport? Was it Gaelic rules, rugby? Growing up, it was it was rugby. Yeah, I played rugby since I was probably eight or nine. Um, I played it with my local club here in Cork, um, and then I played it with my school as well for six years, um, and then I went back to the same club again for two years of college, um, which kind of came to. And a broth end um, when COVID hit, and then unfortunately didn't really get back around to it because by the time all that kind of subsided, and skilling was kind of getting up and running, and that had to become my my main focus. So the rugby kind of got packed in maybe two two and a half years ago, but it was kind of the main thing in, in my life for about ten years at least. Right, mate, and and then along comes skilling, which is what we want to talk about, obviously. But I always like to try and meander our way there before um you know what was going on before in in your fiat life uh so sounds like uh, a heavy amount of education and uh mixing that with with rugby so so talk us through that what what was going on what were you doing at college what were you studying yeah so i, I did my six years in in christians um here in cork city and then i went on to study financial maths and actuarial sciences in in university college cork literally only only 15 minutes from, from where we are right now um, in our office in Cork City. And it was kind of through that process of meeting people that had dabbled in it when we were doing a, our final exams here in Ireland, which are called the Leaving Cert. So I sat them in, in 2017, which is basically where, when you move on from, from second level um, into, into college. Um, and generally, just through, through meeting a number of people through my college course, they had dabbled in it. So as we were leaving school, they had spent their, their Leaving Cert time not only studying, but learning about crypto um, in quotes. And so, of course, when you go into your first year of college and you hear of people, you know, making a nice amount of money while sitting there leaving cert, you know, that's all you kind of need at the beginning as, as a young individual to just have a bit of a catalyst to try and learn more. Um, and that's essentially how it started for me. So, you know, I started college um, at the end of 2017 and then kind of it took me until maybe 2019 to, to really go up to these individuals and ask them, look, you know, I heard you you did this. I heard you did very well from it. Can you at least give me some kind of direction and give me some indication as to where I should start? Um, and given the kind of financial mathematics background that they were in, um, and obviously I was in as well, they were obviously heavily focused on DeFi. Um, so that's where I started my journey, which was going down the kind of DeFi and crypto rabbit hole for, for quite a long time. Um, and ultimately realizing that the more I went down that rabbit hole, the less I kind of wanted to be a part of it. I went through that process whereby I probably spent a year, year and a half focusing on that from, you know, mid 2019 
um, up until, you know, kind of towards the end of, of 2020 or mid-2020. Um, but ultimately, didn't really ask myself what I was investing in. You know, I, I thought I was learning um, and I thought I was really getting under the skin of the space, but ultimately I wasn't. And, and I didn't realize that until I kind of started saying to myself, look, I've been spending months and months and months investing in these things um, and starting to learn about what a rug pull was, you know, and starting to learn that, you know, roadmaps don't actually materialize. But, you know, in my defense, to an extent, it, it does take you, you know, 12 to 18 months to realize that all these roadmaps that you read were in no way happening the way you expected them to. And, and then start asking yourself, well, look, I thought this was going to be the next best thing. You know, this roadmap and these individuals promised all this. Why didn't it materialize? And then in my mind, I was thinking, look, well, I've been under this odd impression, like a lot of others, that, you know, Bitcoin is the boring thing in all this. Um, but maybe it isn't, you know, so maybe I should, you know, go away and, and go spend some time on Bitcoin instead and completely leave the DeFi stuff. Um, and that's exactly what I did. I just said, look, I can't close myself off. I can't just keep going down the same route without exploring, you know, what started it all and why is that important? And why do some individuals feel so strongly about it? And a lot of other individuals think it's, you know, boring and a waste of time. And what I very quickly realized is that the more time I spent on Bitcoin, the more I wanted to go down that rabbit hole and the less I wanted to spend any time at all um, on DeFi. And slowly but surely that transition went from 50-50 to just 100% focused on Bitcoin, um, which inadvertently led to, led to meeting Stuart um, and Connie, obviously, and, and Stuart had wanted to start a, a Bitcoin-only Irish business. You know, that's how broad the idea was at the beginning. You know, he was someone that had that dabbled in it in 2017 as well and learned more and more and more um, and ultimately then wanted to gain more exposure and wanted to contribute, um, you know, himself to the space. Uh, but that's how the idea essentially started, which is I was lucky enough to meet Stuart and then kind of have the same mindset. Um, and what started as a general, let's start a Bitcoin business, inadvertently down the line led us to learning more about mining, learning more about energy and, you know, skilling is here now. Mate, do you remember any of those DeFi projects in particular? I, there was a lot of them, <laughs> you know. You know, like anybody else, there was a lot. Um, a lot, a lot of them, I, I can't even remember. You know, some of the names of them now. Some of them were so small, you know, that they just came and went. And and, and the problem is as well is that I was kind of getting my you know gratification and 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 my knowledge of the market from from price movements as opposed to actual kind of the underlying integrity of the project itself so you know a lot of the things that i didn't realize is that when these things were doing quite well i could have you know put a load of them on a dartboard and thrown a dart and they probably would have done well given the way that everything went you know in 2020 and 2021 um and it took me quite a while to realize that any of these price movements um and the gains that were being made for an absolute zero representation of actually what the project was offering underneath, they were all just being kind of dragged up, you know, by, by, by the general movement in the market. Um, but it did take a couple of rug pulls and a couple of projects inevitably dying by the wayside for me to realize that, you know, if anyone can promise this stuff and deliver nothing, um, then how many of the other projects are doing the exact same thing? Um, which, as I said, then kind of pushed me back towards the Bitcoin only side of things. Um, and as soon as I did make that general switch in my mind, which is really I need to start looking at something else here and just trying to understand it more, um, it, it was I never went back. You know, it was as simple as that. Do you remember any of the resources that you picked up early, like the Bitcoin only stuff? I, I think the, first, the the main one that I really remember as my first time 
after spending a lot of time on Bitcoin generally, just you know, researching it online, reading articles, reading some YouTube, you know, watching YouTube videos of people that I didn't really, you know, can't even remember their names now. They were just my starting point. The podcast that I remember probably best and that kicked me on to the mining side of things was probably one with Preston Pish and Marty Bent that I think came out maybe in January of 2021. When I think back, I had spent a lot of time on Bitcoin already, um, but mining was kind of something that was outside scope of my understanding. While I knew how the process worked um, to an extent, I didn't really understand the real world applications of it. You know, I didn't understand anything about, you know, flare mitigation mining. I didn't understand renewable mining, intermittent mining. There was just mining to me was a process that allowed the Bitcoin network to do what it does. It was nothing that was ever applicable to the real world. And so when I listened to that podcast with Marty and, and, and Preston, and I think Harry Suddock might have been on that one as well. Um, that's the first time I'd ever heard of, of mining off of flare gas. Um, and as soon as I heard that podcast, I remember just taking a load of notes. And I'm pretty sure I still have the notes in a PDF that I've scanned um, on my phone back from, from January or February of that year when it came out. And that was kind of the catalyst in my mind. It's, it's the only one in my mind that really stands out as the, I finished listening to it and I listened to it again, you know, in that kind of idea, which is, God, I didn't know that mining was this at all. You know, what else could you do with it? And and fast forward to starting a mining company, you know, ourselves then and, and getting a side up and running of our own. Yeah, right. Okay. So I financial mathematics, is that the term that you used to describe the course that you were sitting? Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> that's exactly Please what Please explain what that is. Yeah. It's, <laughs> but... it's a mix of a lot of stuff, you know, so in, in so the second kind of side of that is is, is actuarial sciences. So what my degree was basically in, and what I could have gone on to do is you know become a trainee actuary and progress you know that that career um, to an extent. From the financial mathematics side, it was it's 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 a huge mix you know just from probability and you can do basic you know normal accounting modules whatever you want to kind of mix and match um, and combine it with a, with a number of things so there's there's quite a lot to it in its simplest terms it's it's the boring stuff you know it's just algebra and calculus and and nothing to do with financials and then you kind of pair that in then with probability statistics you know accounting modules so it's a, it's a mix of a number of things really is there like a heavy keynesian kind of twist to it were, were they trying to help you um like apply that to the economy at scale see that was the, the kind of only kind of problem i had i suppose with the course was that it was probably too mathematical based there wasn't a whole lot um of, of real world application to to markets um and economics so there there's a number of other courses um in 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 ucc that that are much more kind of economics and market focused mine was kind of maybe three steps back, you know, deriving the calculations that you use, you know, in economics and in markets, but then not actually getting to this point where you you apply them to real world applications or, or real world markets. There was a few in fairness where, where, you know, I did some programming as well, like C Sharp and or programming, et cetera, where you were actually kind of using some of these um, calculations or equations to apply them to real, real world stocks and, you know, do historical data on them. But, Ultimately, it didn't really have that link to understanding how markets work to an extent. And, you know, the psychology and the economics behind markets, it was a lot more, you know, maths and equation focused, than, to be honest. You've, I always find this uh, kind of interesting when, when people have, you know, certain uh, touch points in their past life leading up to them finding Bitcoin, uh, clearly financial mathematics and mathematics in general is something that you're very interested in 
Uh, and you know, when you look at Bitcoin, that is nothing but pure code and, and math. And then the other thing that I see in your past is obviously the rugby, uh, you know, built on is an ethical game, right? That there are there are rules. It's a rule based game. You the, the you know, it's a consensus reached game, and there's there's a lot of ethics in there, and there's a lot of proof of work as well. Like that, you seemed pretty primed, I would say, to have found Bitcoin. Yeah, I suppose yeah, to an extent, you know, I think ultimately. I was kind of lucky in my mind when I think back on it that I was able to, to chat to individuals that kind of set me on on that path. I suppose when you, when you think about the the proof of work to an extent, it, when I look back on it, it was probably very easy to just stick on the DeFi side of things or just drop you know the space entirely. You know, there was a lot of times, obviously, COVID hit and gave me a lot of extra time to to spend on it, given that I was just sitting at home. You know, so I was studying. You know, obviously a lot. But when 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 college ended for for that third semester that I was in or that third year of college I spent you know every minute that I had you know learning about about crypto in quotes um which and if I hadn't probably spent that time and really got under the skin of it I probably would have just sat on the edges you know thinking that these are the projects I'll sit with and if they make some money that's fine um and left it at that and that that that's probably how I started the process which is you know if I make x amount I'll I'll get out of these projects and I'll leave this space for good you know, I never, ever thought when I first got into it um, that it would end up being what it is. You know, I, I, I genuinely saw it as a financial investment. And once that financial investment came to a close, that would be my participation in this market done. Um, you know, little did I know that I would dabble in Bitcoin, you know, at the beginning and suddenly find myself spending, you know, every waking minute that I had. And then fast forward to the end of college, the last thing I expected to be doing was going in, into a Bitcoin mining company that that we had started here in Cork and trying to build that. You know, it was nothing that I had ever thought it would it would materialize into. And I suppose when you mentioned the background that I had, which is, you know, the rugby and and maybe that was the kind of resilient side of things, which was just sticking at it, you know, even when things were getting rope pulled and me thinking, God, I'm gonna get out of this this space and completely, you know, when we get August or when this hits X amount. Um, and then obviously the financial mathematics background of me and, and the kind of general problem solving in, in the back of my mind wanted me to, to kind of keep at it and try to understand a bit more. Because um, so I think it probably is, it's very, very easy, I imagine, for a lot of people to look at Bitcoin and just say, look, there's, there's not much to that. Um, I've read a couple of articles. It's not for me, you know, but I read and you see a lot of people reply to that on, on Twitter and they get quite a bit of stick for it, which is when people say, look, explain Bitcoin to me. And people reply saying, you know, you can't do it on Twitter. You know, you really need to go down and do the work. And people reply saying, oh, that's the only reply I ever get. Mm -hmm. And people aren't replying that to you just to be, you know, difficult or, or to try kind of stick it to you and say you don't get it. They're genuinely saying, no, it, it does take quite a lot of time. You know, trying to ask people to explain Bitcoin to you in a tweet is, is you know, kind of a, a waste of, of effort, really. You, you know, if people can say to you, look, go do this they're saying it because they actually mean it you know in a, in a proper meaningful way they're not doing it to kind of make you feel bad about not understanding it um and i think that's that's what i inevitably realized is that by having a bit of resilience and sticking at it, it it's never ending then at that stage yeah I, um there's that lady from bloomberg who's just been doing that recently right i, I don't know if you're <laughs> yeah, referencing yeah. you're referencing her yeah okay um because I, I I posted underneath there as well. Uh, you know, she said her original tweet, something along the lines of, okay, last time of asking, explain Bitcoin to me without sending me any ridiculous, like lengthy links or blah, blah. It's like, right, okay. No one, like exactly like you said, 
everybody piles in. It's not that simple. Um, mm. And and two, I think I responded, please don't make it the last time of asking. Like the, this yeah, is yeah. actually your job. You are a yeah. reporter. You are a researcher. You are a journalist. It's your job to keep asking these questions and to follow the rabbit, yeah. but nobody seems to. And yeah. I don't know if you you were in Amsterdam whether you whether you saw the panel or not with the um, the journalists from the FT. <laughs> I did, yeah. The, the amount of nonsense there, uh, and the amount of hubris, um, and and clearly not done the depth of research that many of us have done. And the problem being the fiat incentives aligned with them in their role doesn't allow them to do it. You know, that they've got a deadline. They've got to have a piece about Bitcoin on the desk by Monday morning. You can't, it's an impossible task. No, it's a shame. And you know what, I have conversations with people, you know, quite a bit about that, where they almost feel like you've a, kind of different motive in mind when you're trying to get someone into bitcoin you know is in even from, from my perspective you know now that i'm involved in it in a business side of things when you try to explain bitcoin to people and, and and explain it with conviction you know people's response then can be you know oh well you you've kind of a an ulterior motive here you know you have a business of course you're going to spew it to me like it's the the next best thing and that it's extremely important because you know you have so much to lose here you know, when, you know, in reality, that's, it's not the case at all, you know, to an extent, when you think about, you know, after spending time in college and, and you know, getting a degree, etc, you know, everything isn't on the line here. That's not why you're trying to get someone in, because you're thinking you feel worried about this whole thing imploding, you know, you're, you're doing it because you actually think it makes a meaningful contribution to energy. If you're coming at it from a mining perspective, it makes a meaningful contribution to, you know, banking the unbanked. You know, you have all these reasons and they're not reasons that you've conjured up out of thin air to try to get your business an extra six months or, you know, you're, you're not trying to keep your podcast going, Daniel, you know, as in, you're, you know, your life isn't going to implode if the podcast doesn't go on anymore. You're actually telling people about it because you think, they think it makes a meaningful difference. Um, and I think people come at Bitcoin with probably that in the back of their minds. So, you know, when someone puts out a tweet like that and they start seeing the replies flood in and there was a lot of really good, meaningful replies um, to that thread, you know, from loads of different people, you know, obviously you, you had a good reply to it. You had Alex Gladstein, you had Troy Cross, you had so many good minds contributing. Um, and what I can never understand is that when you see so many good minds that have come to the space in the recent months, you know, you've Daniel Batten has joined the space, you obviously have Margot Fires on the panel with myself in Edinburgh, you've Obi, you've yourself. It's, I, I don't know how people don't take a step back sometimes and say, look, well, you know, these people aren't scammers. You know, I see some people tweet that everyone involved in this space is inadvertently a scammer. And I'm just thinking, look, I don't know how you could come at it with such a, a closed mindset like that. You know, when, and I think back to myself, which as I said earlier, whereas I thought Bitcoin was the boring thing, thought it had no real world use case. I thought it was a waste of time when all these new shinier things were coming to the market that had all these different optionalities and how they were going to change the world. Um, but at, at no point did I say to myself, look, I'm not going to spend some time on Bitcoin. And, you know, that's all it took for me to go completely full circle and, and completely change my mindset on the whole space. So for someone to come in without quite having done, you know, that extent of, or that much work to an extent and say, look, this is a waste of time. You know, I'm not delving any further into it. I just can't quite understand it from my own perspective, you know, having gone through that whole entire process and knowing how long it is, I can't understand how you come in and, and just completely say, look, this is a waste of time and I'm not going to put the work in. But 
that is that is what happens to an extent, unfortunately. Mm. All right, let's let's get the story of how you met Stuart and Connie, whether that was together or you know separate separate times, and they started shilling you the idea of we need to start a Bitcoin only business in Ireland. You must have thought, yeah, all of your Christmases had come at once at that point. Yeah, it was it was a funny mix. In fairness, so it was inadvertently through a, a friend of mine um, that I had been telling about you know crypto at the beginning and then and then bitcoin throughout all of, of 2020 um who then started you know working alongside Stuart on a completely different you know real project you know nothing to do with with bitcoin or crypto and i think Stuart just dropped a hint you know in a, in a conversation with, with a friend of mine that he would been spending quite a lot of time learning about you know bitcoin over the past number of years um, and straight away straight away a friend of mine parked up and said well look i have a a friend that has actually been doing the exact same thing for the past two years. You know, while he hasn't been doing it as long as you have, he's very, very interested in it. You know, every time we meet up or go to the gym or whatever it might be, all he does is talk about this thing. Um, and I haven't spent any time on it. You should just have a chat. Um, and that's all it took, really. I, I was lucky enough then to to speak with Stuart um, through that friend of mine um, who's still involved with us um, kind of on a, a lengthier, you know, or from a outside perspective, um, and Stuart just kind of generally dropped the idea, which is, look, he'd, he'd spent a lot of time on it. We should start a Bitcoin business. And it was as simple as sitting down in a room with a, with a very generalized phrase like that, which is, let's start a Bitcoin business. So we, we you know, we explored a load of different things. You know, we explored, you know, should we kind of try to go down, you know, an unchained capital model? You know, we didn't have the in-depth knowledge of other market participants at that time. So Obviously, we learned about the likes of Unchained and Swan and everybody else, you know, over the course of the coming months. But we explored all different ideas. Um, but ultimately, it was kind of a simple decision, which was, do we go down kind of a financial services and custody route or we, do we try to do something different? Um, and, and given my background and obviously given kind of Stuart's background in, in traditional finance earlier on and, and, and the other business that he had, we just wanted to do something different. You know, it was a very, very simple decision like that, which is, are we going to wear suits or are we going to wear boots and hard hats? You know, that was actually a very kind of a simple decision that we made whereby I said, look, well, if I wanted to wear a suit and go down that route, then I would just go back and follow the path that I was probably already on. Um, so how can we do something different? You know, and obviously I'd listened to that podcast with, with Marty and Preston and Harry Suddock. And I said, well, I wonder, could we do mining? You know, that, that you know, this is kind of how the ideas slowly but surely stumble into each other. Um, and I remember sitting with, with Stuart and, and Vince, the other individual that introduced me to Stuart early on, and we said, I suppose we could try to do mining. You know, it was as simple as that. How can we do it here in Ireland? And that led to, you know, months and months of, of learning about renewables, reading, you know, dispatch down reports, constraint and curtailment reports, looking at how much energy Ireland has, how much is wasted, nonstop reading about, you know, what are new technologies coming to Ireland with regards to energy and then saying, look, there might be actually an opportunity here. But going through a lot of kind of dead ends in that process too, which is thinking, okay, well, look, we could probably put one on a wind farm wherever it might be, say, for, for example, and then realizing, well, if we're going to try to prove the model early on, then, you know, intermittent mining is going to be that bit more difficult. It's going to be that bit, bit more difficult for people to understand the economics of mining how it all works, you know, what if it gets turned off for an extended period of time? Um, it's going to kind of ru ruin the, the proof of concept for people that we're trying to bring in and, and see it, um, which inadvertently led us to finding biogas and getting the site up and running. And, and Connie's kind of participation was then through Stuart um, in the middle of it all, 
which is once we decided to, to start the business and, and focused in on mining, um, Connie got involved, um, thankfully enough, and, and brought a nice bit of energy to the, to the whole project as well. So it was great. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, I get the feeling Connie's definitely the energy kind of guy. And in the energy space, is the, uh, <laughs> he brings energy in, in more, way than, more ways than one. Um, yeah, and in fairness, yeah, Tony, Tony from an IT background was, was really, really helpful then. Just obviously my perspective was just so heavily financial focused and right. I was able to learn the mining side of things. Um, but then to kind of have that mix of us, you know, obviously Stuart had a, an established career um, already and run, had run a number of businesses. So he had a, a ton of expertise in that side of things. I had done the groundwork on Bitcoin and the mining side of things and listened to every single podcast you could listen to. I learned about containers, learned about designing containers myself. Um, and then Connie came in from an IT side of things, which was, you know, helping with understanding comms, helping with understanding IT security, helping with, you know, remote monitoring, all those other kind of things. So we were lucky enough to kind of be able to bring, you know, different areas of expertise together to, you know, ultimately get something up and running. With your, your financial mathematics background, that's got to be very key when you're looking at the price of electricity and where you can get the, uh, the, the well, just making the containers, right? These things are not cheap to to make and getting the miners in. How on earth do you start even planning that spreadsheet out? Yeah, so that that was probably the majority of, of time that I spent in summer of, of 2021. So exactly as you said, I just spent um, a lot of time trying to reverse engineer, you know, the normal um, profitability calculators that you'll see online. So of course you can go on to a number of, you can go on to brains, mining insights or whatever it might be. Um, we can type in a number of figures, but ultimately we wanted to really understand the inner workings of what goes on when you type a, a figure into one of those things online. So I, I did spend quite a lot of time, you know, trial and error, um, running those those profit calculators and going to Excel then and, and trying to work back until my answer matched all the calculators online. So that then we had our own um, calculator that we could always dabble with um, and excel here at the office um, and understand how the fluctuations in hash rate, fluctuations in network difficulty, electricity price would, would play out and then run all those numbers and have them in our in our own spreadsheet here. You know, So with, then we could bring people in and let them play around with the spreadsheet here themselves um, and understand you know, what's going on behind the cells. You know, because obviously going onto a website and, and, and typing in um, a figure and getting a figure turned out is fine, but when someone comes in and they really want to see, you know, what's going on in the back end um, of these things, having you know a proper spreadsheet that you can strip apart and show them, you know, when you change that, this changed, and inevitably the answer changed. So um, that's kind of where I suppose my my financial maths background came in to an extent, which is building you know spreadsheets and, and profitability calculators that allowed us then to demonstrate how the economics of all this will work to the, the energy operators that we were lucky enough then to get in um, later in, in 2021 to showcase you know the whole project um, overall. But regards to the containers, um, that took quite a lot of time as well. Um, and we were lucky to, I kind of had a general idea of, of how I wanted it to look just from general understanding of, 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 you know, we had five ASICs in the office here that we bought and we built a, a mini display room um, actually in the office here so we kind of gutted a room um, in the office stripped out all the shelving took out all the chairs tables um, and basically built a, a mini display mine so we bought you know five s19s we built a rack did all got an electrical partner in 
that in, you know inevitably became our electrical partner on the containers um, and it was just through all of those learnings that you know obviously you know maths is, is is helpful to an extent but you kind of need real world experience with s19s you know running them understanding them playing around at the pool turning them on turning them off having them switch off for no reason you know you know no reason in your mind until you come down and i've taken them all apart put them all back together um, and that was what the majority of our 2021 was. So from really having a sit down at the end of 2020 to the end of 2021 was going from the Bitcoin idea that I mentioned earlier to getting a mini display mine up and running, getting a few people in and demonstrating it. And then in 2022, getting a, a large scale container up and running. When you were building that spreadsheet and playing around with the numbers, like the the price of electricity and whatever else, was there a sudden aha moment or, or epiphany that you weren't expecting to have found? I'd say it was probably the opposite, to be honest. I'd say really? it was probably a lot of oh no moments. Right. You know, <laughs> you know, like that was probably I think when I think back on it, it was probably a lot of times whereby I had read so many reports on, you know, the Irish wind industry, the up and coming Irish solar industry, you know, how much energy is wasted. So a lot of energy is wasted in quotes here in Ireland. So whereby, you know, you have hundreds of thousands of megawatts that are basically curtailed or constrained, whereby the grid can onboard that energy. So they asked those wind farms to to turn off to an extent or, or you know taper down and don't and not to export as much um and so that's kind of what what spawned the idea at the beginning to say look we can make this work in ireland look how much you know wasted energy there is um but we learned more and more and eventually started getting under the inner workings of, of a lot of wind farms in ireland and while there was an opportunity there for that we wanted our first site to be a very simple proof of concept. Um, and so when I talk about oh no moments, I would, there was a few times whereby I would run the numbers with the uptime that a given wind farm might have with their constraint or curtailment in mind and think, well, look, this this will work. You know, this will actually work, you know, in quotes. Um, but will it be meaningful enough to demonstrate to these individuals how well it works, you know. So that was kind of when I when I think back on the oh no moments and a couple of visits that we had to wind farms whereby we looked, we thought, you know, they have this much, you know, excess, you know, all the time. It's it's gonna work great. But then when you got into the inner workings of, you know, how much excess is there every 10 minutes to keep these machines up and running, in a number of instances it didn't quite stack up. Um and it went in the times where it did stack up, intermittent mining as your very first proof of concept with older machines we felt might not be the proof of concept that we need um to demonstrate how well the whole project works overall so there was a number of moments and that's the kind of dead ends that i mentioned whereby we thought it was going to be a lot simpler than it was but i feel like that's always the case you know i suppose with any business or any idea you know thinking this is going to work instantly and we're going to go to a wind farm and they're going to tell us they have 10 megawatts of excess energy and we're just going to plug in and run at 90% uptime, you know, is wishful thinking. Um, so it did take quite a number of, of kind of dead ends for us to inadvertently find uh, biogas and get a site up and running that's, you know, consistent uh, and is a lot better for, for demonstrating how it all works. All right. So you find biogas, but then you've got to find someone with the biogas. How did that stop? And then Orange pilled them on the idea of mining Bitcoin yeah. you're still a million miles away from getting deployed yeah. <laughs> so how did yeah, that yeah yes that so that was funny so the the, the whole idea of, of finding biogas in quotes um was not as not as quick as as it might seem to an extent so the, this finding biogas was only because after running the numbers on wind and solar um while we saw that you know the economics of in mining you know stack up to an extent 
it wasn't, you know, the project that we thought would be best, as I said. Um, so I basically went off and said, you know, typing into Google, you know, other Irish energy, you know, I, I would say, you know, simple, really simple searches, you know, just relentlessly typing in different things. And I actually found, you know, geothermal in Antrim before, you know, before I heard, found biogas. That was how hard it was to find, which in my mind, I still think back on it. And when I tell people how difficult it was to find it, they're kind of blown away, you know, because I was looking for something that I didn't know what I was, you know, I didn't know what I was looking for, even though I was searching nonstop. Um, and I eventually found a, a very, very short article in the Farmer's Journal um, of someone that was running trials on, on small scale biogas plants. Um, and he was doing a project in, in Sligo University uh, here in Ireland. And I just reached out, reached out to him and said, look, I have this idea. Um, I have basically it's a container full of machines you know that's how you start off but you say servers it's a container full of servers that need a lot of uptime and they need a lot of energy could they pair you know off grid with something like this and he was kind of thinking in his head and he said well there's kind of a number of ways that could work you know there's we've big plants you know here in ireland that could probably produce a bit more or they might have some excess for any given reason um but you could also maybe try doing it with smaller plants and you know that's kind of all it took whereby as I was listening to him speak and explain biogas to me in my mind, I remember sitting in here in the office, that was probably in September of 2021 thinking, God, this, this sounds like a winner, you know, without actually having gone away and, and think it's, you know, done the research on it. As soon as I heard him explain biogas to me um, and it's uptime and it's consistency. And I was saying to him, you know, so it's basically hundred percent uptime. If, if you feed the, the, the biogas plant correctly. And he was like, yeah, you know, that, that's how relaxed he was about it. And in my mind, I was thinking, you know, this is this is the energy source for us. Um, so then as soon as that I had that conversation, I, I started completely, you know, changing my my train of thought and, and, and who I was reaching out to. Um, and we spoke with a number of people, I suppose, that, that had biogas plants. But in the strangest way possible, it was someone who inevitably reached out to me just by kind of cold email saying, I have this plant um, in Armagh. Um, and I might have some 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 excess energy at some stage, depending on you know a number of this different instances. I've never heard of Bitcoin. Well, I've heard of Bitcoin, but I've no idea what it is. I have no idea what mining is. Can I call down to you in court? I'm coming down anyway. And that was in November of 2021. Um, and he called into us in November, and he said, as I said on the phone, I have this plant. I'm probably going to have about 120 kilowatts if I play around with things. Um, what can I do with it? And so we sat him down and we had, as I said, we, we already had the display mine um, made upstairs um, with the five S19s that I was able to turn on and say, look, this is the machines. Um, and then we had a projector in the office here as well. So the way we would try orange, well, I suppose in quotes, is that we would show them the, the room upstairs so that at least they knew what ASICs were, you know, what the machines were, what an S19 was. They could hear them. They could feel the heat coming out the back of them. They could see them running full tilt, you know, and, and understand, okay, this is just a, a little silver box. And then what we do is we bring them downstairs into the office here and we put the projector up on the wall and we'd go Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin mining, the Lightning Network, blocks, containerized mining, energy, and then how does it all pair together, you know, at the very end? Um, and that process probably took maybe two or three hours um, and that individual went away and said, actually, this is really interesting. You know, I, I didn't know really what Bitcoin was. And now I understand what mining is. And now I understand what your containers might look like. Let me think about it. Um, and we kind of heard nothing then until January. You know, I was pinging updates and the person was saying, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about it. Um, and in January, they came back and said, look, 
this actually sounds really, really interesting. Can we have another kind of sit down and, and see how this might really look? You know, how big is the container going to be? How will it plug in? Went through that whole process. And then I think in the end of February, he said, look, I've, I've kind of heard enough over the past three months. I get it. I get what you're trying to do. I get how it will look. Um, and it sounds very, very simple. You know, in my mind, it sounded very difficult at the beginning. But after hearing you explain it, it sounds quite simple. Um, let's just do it. You know, <laughs> that was, it was kind of that process um, whereby eventually came back after a number of emails. And I obviously, I'd say what happened was there was a few emails whereby you could probably tell he had mentioned it to someone, you know, and, and, and they had probably said to him, oh, that, you know, that Bitcoin thing, you know, like that could be gone in the morning, you know. So I don't know about this whole kind of whole idea. Um, but the, as an individual, he was extremely, extremely open to it. And I, I kind of feel like a lot of energy guys, they're quite entrepreneurial anyway. You know, so he might have been coming at it at the beginning from an entrepreneurial standpoint and then saying, look, well, aside from the Bitcoin stuff, you know, this is just an, an energy asset bolt on. And if I think about it like that, then it makes very, a lot of sense. But in, in that thinking, kind of kickstarting his interest, he actually got very into the Bitcoin side of things as well. Um, and fast forward from November to the very first week of June of this year, he went from not really understanding what Bitcoin was to having a Bitcoin mining container sitting on top of his biogas plant you know mining bitcoin so it was a pretty steep learning curve and crash course and i think his, his, his son owen said it um in a clip with joe i don't know if joe joe hall has put it out yet but joe literally asked him that which is oh your dad must have been a, a bitcoiner or so for the past while and he went no no november he figured out what bitcoin was and now that thing is sitting over there mining bitcoin you know it was it literally was as fast as that so that was kind of the crash course and how it all happened Love it, mate. I absolutely love it. Well, I've got to ask the dumb question, obviously. And that, you know, that is what is biogas? Because a lot of us just use this term. I think we throw it around probably when we're trying to even probably around the Thanksgiving table or the Christmas table when we are going to be faced with the normie chat of, oh, it's bad for the environment. We're going to turn around on our high, on our, you know, our pedestal. And say, well, no, actually, you know, we're we're using methane gas and we're 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 flaring gas and capturing that. And even some people, like in Ireland, are mining off of biogas. We don't actually know what we're fucking saying. So (laughs) could you tell us what in this specific plant, where is the biogas coming from? It sounds like where is the yield coming from, doesn't it? But where where is the where is the biogas coming from? How how is it made? How are you harnessing it? What what's all that really fun, interesting, geeky stuff? Yeah, so to be honest, it it is almost a a science in itself. So so every plant will will really be be different. Um, In the specific one that we're that we're running on, um, they have a mix of things. So one of their primary inputs, (coughs) apologies. Um, is is grass from from fields that they have, so they'll cut the grass um, two or three times a year, two or three times a year. Um, they'll then store that grass, um, and that'll be one of their their primary inputs. And then another input that they have is chicken manure from a nearby chicken farm, um, and then they're also putting in um, byproducts from a dairy processing plant nearby. Um, so that sounds like a very strange mix. Um, but it doesn't really always ha- it doesn't have to be like that on every plant whatsoever. So some plants. Their primary inputs will be from, you know, food waste or, you know, meat plants, whatever it might be. Um, in this specific case, so they just use grass, chicken manure and um, byproducts from a dairy processing plant. And then they play around with the science behind that. So by 
you can put, you don't have to put in the same amounts every single day. They do just because that's the kind of simplest way to do it. But by playing around with those inputs, you can get varying amounts of biogas um, or by putting in more. Um, and so how that process actually looks um, is, you know, it's, it's actually quite simple. Um, to be honest, they probably have a, they have a large hopper um, that they dump the waste into. Um, and slowly but surely, that hopper will feed that waste throughout the course of the day. Basically, what looks like a large shovel, They'll pu it'll push it into the tanks. Um, and that, the biogas plant itself um, is basically just an extremely large tank um, that swirls the waste around over a number number of days. Um, and as the kind of waste decomposes within these enclosed tanks, you get methane. Um, and as that methane comes off, it's then it's extracted from the tanks just through piping into an engine room. So there's just two massive engines um, that then burn that methane off and you get electricity. Um, so that's in very, very simple terms. Um, and I know the, the Cointelegraph guys and Joe um, have actually a mini documentary coming out soon on it. Um, and they, they called over to the site in Armagh um, and they recorded the whole process from start to finish. So hopefully you'll, you'll have that for your, for your Christmas dinner that you'll be able to whip up the video of Joe and say, I know you're probably sick of seeing Joe. Um, but here he is again on a, on, a, on a site in Armagh looking at biogas plants and, and mining Bitcoin. So the process overall, um, while it sounds you know, quite complicated now that you know, biogas production overall is kind of a, a sentence that might, you, know, you might think there's a lot to it. But really, it's a case of, of putting the waste into the tank and then just giving it the time um, as it's kind of swirled around to decompose and, and produce that methane, which is then extracted, as I said, um, and you run it through an engine just like anything else um, as a gas. Um, and then you get your electricity. So we're then off taking electricity on that site. And at the moment, I don't know if people have seen the video of our, of our actual container, um, but what looks like concrete underneath it is actually the roof um, of the anaerobic digestion plant itself. So we're sitting on top of it. <laughs> no way. So you're actually yeah. sitting right on top of the anaerobic digester. Yeah, yeah. So on the roof of it, yeah. It's, it's a pretty unique design. I suppose people sometimes get confused. Um, and I know I remember even Connie coming up to the site after we got it up and running and, and saying, you know, you wouldn't even know it's there. So this one is actually a pretty unique design in that the roof of it is concrete. Um, whereas when people look up videos of it or photos of, of these plants, they might see kind of a, a tented setup. So you might see kind of a, a concrete cylinder almost with a tent at the top. Um, whereas this one isn't like that at all. What they actually did is the farm itself was on a hill. So they dug out the hill, they built the outer walls, um, the concrete walls, they built the roof, and then they filled in the hill around it to an extent. Um, so you, you barely even know that the plant is there and our, our container then sits on top of it. So you wouldn't even know from the road that there's an AD plant with a mine on top of it at all. It basically blends in. So when, <laughs> what pushback do you get from the green hysterics here because you seem to have solved everything that they've been screaming about for a long time is there still yeah what 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 kind of negative comments have you had thrown at you there's there's been some funny ones i like we've had i someone before actually when i when i was sitting alongside joe that tweeted back saying you know you're, you're scammers and you're lying, you know, because we basically said that the end process of the anaerobic process is you get fertilizer at the end. So all the waste that you put in, mm -hmm. you get back out again and you get it back out in the form of a, a premium fertilizer that when they've done studies on it is much, much better than, you know, industrial process, you know, fertilizer that's made and, and, and sold to you from wherever it might be. And does that come, um, so, sorry, to, 
sorry to get geeky on that bit there, but does that come in like a powder form? How, how do you go from grass and shit and piss and whatever else that is getting mixed up in the anaer anaerobic digester uh, and then you're mining Bitcoin and then you've got a perfectly good, for very good mm -hmm. end product as well, or even byproduct, yeah. which is yeah. fertilizer, which can then be sold to, in, into the land for crops and whatever else. But how does that, yeah. what form is that in, the, the final form of the fertilizer? Uh, so it can come out, it can come out in, in, in two forms. So I think it depends on the design of the plant itself. So I think you can add a boton that will dry it out. Mm -hmm. um, and remove the, the moisture from it. And then I think that that fertilizer in particular will basically just look like compost or look like anything else. In this particular plant, um, in reality, I don't think there's any need for that additional process. It just ends up consuming more energy from the plant that it's creating anyway. So people just leave it out. Um, what it basically comes out as is, is a fluid, um, right. which basically, okay. basically gets collected from a, a tractor and a tanker. Um, and this farmer in particular just puts all that, it's called digestate. He just puts it all back on his land again. And uses it to grow the grass for the just muck spreads. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, and it puts it straight back on the land. And he's actually sent his digested off for tests. Um, and I think he said it was something like six times better than the previous imported fertilizer that he was using. Um, and he's actually done tests as well, whereby he's put the digested on a field. Um, and then on the field next to it, he's put the original fertilizers that I was using. And he said that the grass has always grown better. Um, and has looked a lot greener um, on the field that he's used to digest it on. Um, but one reply that we did get was someone replied to us saying, oh, you're just, you know, scammers in your greenwashing because there's no way that you can turn the, the ASICs into fertilizer. <laughs> so what the person on Twitter thought we were saying and we, what we were implying is that somehow we were turning ASICs um, into <laughs> fertilizer. So that's kind of what you're dealing with sometimes. You know, that, that's the general pushback. Um, that you have to deal with. I didn't even bother replying to, to that reply in particular. But if you talk about Ireland specifically, so let's just take here for an example. Um, there's very little pushback in general um, and there's not a lot of support either. So when people ask me all the time, you know, what's Ireland's opinion on, on what you're doing? Um, it's a very, very strange situation that we're in whereby it's just neither. You know, I think generally what we're seeing here um, is that people just don't quite understand it, but they aren't quite as harsh in shutting it down. You know, that's something that's actually a positive that you can take away from it here, which is they don't sit on either side. They just sit, you know, they sit on the fence. Um, and so we don't get much pushback at all. Um, you know, there is obviously this argument, which is say if the grid improves and if you took, you know, the AD plant that we're working on, um, if they can export that energy, then, you know, you're taking energy from the grid, you know, that could be used for anything else. Um, but I suppose the kind of best thing about mining, and it's something that's often overlooked, and it's what I always say to people, which is if at any stage we can export the energy that our mining unit is currently using on that farm in Armagh, we're just going to turn that mining unit into a demand side asset. So as soon as the grid needs the energy, we'll just shut the miners off and we'll export. And it just makes more sense to do that anyway. So what people don't seem to understand is that Bitcoin mining has a harmonious relationship with the energy energy grid and energy systems and energy pricing, not a negative one. Um, and it's something that the only kind of pushback and it's something that I feel quite strongly about is the EU talking about banning mining um, across across Europe. And it, it doesn't make a single bit of sense because their point is that to alleviate you know, stress during this high price period, we're going to ask miners to, to, to turn off until you know the issue resolves itself. Um, and what you basically probably know yourself is that 
that won't happen. You know, the, we'll get told to turn off for the winter time and then, you know, we'll never be allowed to turn back on again, realistically. Um, and what I try to explain to people that they say, oh, well, that's a very valid point. And I kind of spoke with a, with a friend of mine in depth yesterday about it, which is he was saying, oh, Europe owes Bitcoin nothing. They're dead right to say that. And my point is that that statement is just baseless because mm-hmm. miners will be gone long before a grid is under stress. If anyone in Europe is mining on the grid at the moment, they're highly likely not because the price of electricity is so expensive. And then if you're in a situation like us, whereby you're sitting in a behind the meter situation and suddenly that asset can export, then all you're going to do is export when the prices are high. So at the moment in Ireland, for example, you'd be exporting 24-7 instead of mining because it just makes more economic sense to do so. Um, and a lot of people overlook that and they kind of instantly go to the, well, you're making the problem worse. Um, and then, you know, generally what I say to them is it couldn't be further from the truth. You know, miners will be the first thing gone off of the grid if there's an opportunity to sell the energy, um, which in Ireland would literally be 24-7 given the price of, of Bitcoin at the moment and the total hash rate. That That's an interesting set of questions right there with the, the current price move, the current hash rate, uh, the mm-hmm. current landscape, what with uh, you know, huge mining companies going into um, mm-hmm. well, a lot of problems. You know, we, we've got Argo on this side of the pond, Core Scientific, yeah. uh, you know, across the pond there. How closely are you guys following that and how much of a difference does it make to your business model? Where are your threats and where are your, you know, where, where are you losing sleep, Mark? Yeah. So overall, I, I don't think we, we haven't really lost any sleep, if I'm being honest. Um, I suppose we were kind of lucky in that when we started this, you know, this business and this idea two years ago, I think the on-grid price of electricity in Ireland, it wasn't extortionate. Well, to some people in Texas, it might seem extortionate, but it was probably 10 or 12 cents a, a kilowatt hour, you know. So it, it was quite high, but we instantly made the decision, look, we're never, ever going to want to compete with the grid. You know, if we're going to make an Irish mining company running on grid or pulling energy from the grid or trying to compete with the grid in any way is never going to work. So let's just bin that idea completely, you know, straight off the bat and try to come up with something a bit better, um, which, you know, led us to focusing all our time on on, on containerized mining. Um, So it's kind of removed that risk. So, you know, some of the problems that you've seen is just people getting into variable power purchase agreements so now you're in a, a kind of a double whammy for the for these bigger miners if they haven't locked in an electricity price whereby bitcoin has come down to levels they never thought it would come back to network difficulty is at levels they never thought it would be at given the price of bitcoin we're currently at and then to add insult to injury you have electricity prices going through the roof um so in fairness to, to the bigger companies that you know are, are now struggling it's just a terrible mix um but luckily for us it's it's kind of a terrible mix that we decided to remove ourselves from a long, long time ago because wanting to start it in Ireland quickly cut that side of things off. Um, so from our perspective, you know, when you talk about losing sleep, we haven't really lost much. You know, if anything, given the competitiveness of the mining industry, you know, you never want to see other businesses go under. But everyone in the, in the industry is also saying, you know, when is the network definitely going to come down? You know, they're seeing mm-hmm. it go up and up and up while the price of Bitcoin is going down every single week and they're saying you know is there ever going to be any let up here and can you exp- um, so can you explain that for, you for know, any hash rate eventually coming down because miners switch off sorry yeah can you explain that kind of um divergence in in the network difficulty and the price for those that are you know perhaps think scratching their heads like what why is that happening 
Sorry, you, you, I lost you there for, for a brief second. Daniel. Can you repeat it again for me? Yeah, absolutely. Can you hear me again now? Yeah, we've gone unstable for some reason. Have you got me? Uh, yeah, just about. You're, you're frozen on the screen, but I can still hear you. Okay. All right. Um, not sure what's going on uh, there. I have your voice. <laughs> okay. I'll just turn my camera off for a second. Uh, yeah, I was um, okay. I was just asking if you wouldn't mind uh, fleshing out that that point that you made about network difficulty uh, is going up, price of Bitcoin is going down. Mm-hmm. Um, just explain to people why that's happening and from, from your point of view and why that's just making life very difficult for, for many of the mining companies. Yeah, so I suppose the, the kind of why network difficulty is going up um, is obviously as a result of the, the total global hash rate going up, which in simple terms just means more machines going online. Um, why more machines are still coming online in this given period. There's a lot of conspiracies as, as to what's going on. You know, you have some people on Twitter saying that, you know, because Russia are flaring so much gas because they can't export it now to Europe, that maybe they've started mining. You know, that's obviously something that can never be proven, you know, to an extent. But then, you, you know, you have small little announcements that are kind of just going under the radar. So obviously you, you have Shell announcing recently that, um, I think they announced, you know, if, if that's actually a legitimate, you know, public announcement that they're thinking, you know, they're getting into the mining market. Um, all of these individuals that are getting into the mining market are just being ignored at the moment because we're in a bear market. So positive news stories like that just essentially get ignored. But when, you, when you're looking for explanations as to why, you know, hash rates still going up, you have small little, you know, possibilities like that, which is a very large um, oil and gas company that clearly have a lot of flare gas that they can mine on, seeing the price of machines being extremely, extremely low at the moment, and, and, and they're getting involved. And then obviously you have some individuals that have navigated the past two years very, very well. So, you know, you look at someone like CleanSpark, um, and when you, you're someone sitting on the sidelines thinking, oh, they're going to go, so not CleanSpark, you're thinking, oh, someone might go soon. And then you have CleanSpark stepping in and, and buying that facility um, or kind of helping those those distressed miners and keeping those mining miners on. You know, they're really, really important um, things to take note of when you're asking yourself, you know, why is hash rate not dropping off? And it's because you have individuals like CleanSpark that have navigated this this past two and a half years extremely, extremely well. So when you're reading of, of someone about to go bust and you're thinking, oh, that's going to be a lot of hash rate coming offline. Um, and you have someone then stepping in and saving them and keeping those machines running, then, you know, that's, that hash rate's not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, and so when you combine that with individuals that have navigated the space well, new individuals entering the space because the machines are very, very cheap, um, then the kind of current price of Bitcoin and the current network definitely doesn't mean much because you have people entering the space looking at the kind of future prospects of, of where, where it might go. Um, obviously, you have everyone else then thinking, you know, this has been absolutely relentless. You know, when will, when will the network definitely come down? Um, but I suppose if, if people don't quite understand it, it's, it's probably worth mentioning just, you know, about the, the difficulty adjustment in that in its very, very quick and simple terms, the network itself is the best way to describe it. It looks back and tries to see what the average block time was over the past 2016 blocks. We try to keep it, it's generally 10 minutes on average. You know, if it's less than that, the total network difficulty goes up, which essentially just makes it a bit more difficult to, to, to find or, or guess the code correctly for a block. Um, and that's what you're seeing. But at the moment, I think we're about to go down by 7 or 8%. Um, in the net, next network difficulty. So who that is, that's that's after switching off. You'll probably never really know until there's a, a public announcement to say that that they're ceasing operations. But it's going to be an interesting time, to say the least. I think it's it's probably been a lot longer than people thought in terms of these difficult conditions. I'd say people thought that the network difficulty would come down 
quite a lot earlier than it has. Um, and unfortunately for some big miners that were already struggling and kind of crossing their fingers for someone else to go first, um, it hasn't really happened. So it's just inflicted further woes on those that were probably stretched to their limits, you know, eight weeks ago. Um, so you could end up seeing a few more going under at this stage. It's a brutal business, man. Uh, yeah. So you got a clear signal there that somebody big has unplugged. And if there is an announcement that comes out, then there's just an extra price pressure downward on the machines themselves if that company then has to buy or sell their assets. Yeah, so th th there's an assumption that that could happen. You know, if you do have, you know, a, a company that goes under and obviously those those ASICs come on the market. But it's, it's an interesting one because you're wondering where the price floor is um, in ASICs and you're kind of looking at it from a, a CapEx and a, and a payback standpoint. And there will come a point where, you know, you'll find a floor. It's like anything where, you know, more machines coming on the market if the economics stack up. So I'm kind of thinking at the moment, which is, you know, if we start seeing some downward network difficulty adjustments, that might halt the floor um, of, of the ASICs because someone's going to look at that saying, look, you know, our network difficulty is at 32 trillion or whatever it might be. The price of Bitcoin has now kind of bottoms to an extent just because more ASICs is coming on the market. The payback is, is looking a small bit better than it did three or four weeks ago. So, you know, we shouldn't be selling these for any cheaper. So you've so many different kind of market dynamics in play at once that it's quite difficult to judge. You know, generally over the past kind of number of weeks, the prices of machines have just been relentlessly coming down because the price of the network difficulty has been relentlessly going up. Um, but there will come that point where, you know, someone going under and more machines entering the market, you know, someone will see that as an opportunity as opposed to, you know, a negative um, addition to the market. And, and suddenly you might see, you know, ASICs trickling back up again. But it is very hard to know because what we've kind of seen, especially at the moment, is that you never really know what's going on behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a press release from a miner or an exchange, for example, we're not going to name any, but... Um, it really means nothing in the grand scheme of things as to what's going on in the background. If someone comes out and says they're doing great, you know, don't worry about it. Our machines are going to stay online for the foreseeable. I would be taking everything that you hear at the moment with a pinch of salt. And just, mm -hmm. you know, even when it comes to hosting and a number of other things, I have a lot of people asking me about hosting recently saying, you know, price of machines is very, very good. This is the rate at that facility. And I've just been saying to them, look, like your Bitcoin, you know, not, not your keys, you know, not your coins. I wouldn't be hosting. That's my own personal opinion, generally at the moment, to an extent, which is you don't know what third-party risk is anymore. You know, the space is in a, a really kind of strange period. You know, we're in a kind of transition period where a lot of people taking that additional third-party risk to get it plugged in. I don't know if it's worth it. And, you know, maybe, maybe it'd be slightly better if you can plug it in and don't have the electricity to just buy Bitcoin any, on its own. Mm -hmm. just stay humble plebs just stack those sets and uh, live <laughs> live as a simple life as you yeah. possibly can i, I want to ask how do you structure the deal and tell me if you've got a at any stage just tell me if you need to to run i know we uh we're running over a little bit of time here but how, how do right. you structure the deal with the um with the dude like with, with your biogas guy you know um if, for anybody that's listening that might be interested has one of these plants wants to reach out or can put you in touch with somebody how does that deal structure look like yeah so we're pretty i suppose lenient as to how people might want to structure um you know a, a deal like that you know we, we understand that some individuals won't go through the kind of bitcoin rabbit hole like this this individual has done in Armagh, and they might be a bit more risk averse so there's a number of ways you can kind of 
set something like this up so you could have someone come along and, and just purchase the infrastructure themselves so we can provide them with a container we can provide them with the machines we can get it set up um, and then they can own that asset just as a an energy asset both on that's a key part of their infrastructure themselves um, or if they're an individual that you know isn't quite you know that convinced with regards to bitcoin and just want to a set electrical or uh, electricity rate um, then in that instance we would fund you know our own container um, and our own machines and we would put that infrastructure in place and just provide you know an energy asset owner with a fixed electricity rate or a land rate or whatever it might be so there's a number of different ways you can kind of play around with it um, it just all depends on on their own kind of risk aversion um, but everyone's different and that's kind of what we found we were quite lucky um that this first individual did get Bitcoin um, and they wanted to get quite a bit of Bitcoin themselves. Um, but we're also well aware that we could go to someone that has a number of biogas plants um, and they might say, look, I don't really want to get that involved in Bitcoin. I just want to use Bitcoin as a means of exchange between my energy um, and fiat. And in that instance, then we'll just put the machines in the container in place. We'll just give them an, an electricity rate or a land rate um, and we'll take the Bitcoin from that. Cool, man. All right. Okay. Well, as you can see, Lauren has just appeared. She bought me a coffee, which is great. <laughs> she's Solid she's been, service you've got. Uh, yeah, exactly. She's been uh, a little busy upstairs, but now she wants to come and ask you uh, a question. Yeah. So since I was just in one of my math classes, I haven't really been able to think about the question. So mm -hmm. I have to go with my usual. What is your favorite thing about Bitcoin? My favorite thing about Bitcoin um, personally is the meaningful difference that I think it's going to make to the energy markets um, over the next 10, 20 years. So that's kind of my, my go-to. When people ask me what interests me most, um, I think the majority of energy companies will probably be Bitcoin mining companies one way or another um, over the course of the next decade or two. Um, I think that's my, my, my best, my favorite part about Bitcoin um, is its mining and energy mix. Do you know what he means by energy companies? Yeah, um, I do. And I, and I know what he means by the Bitcoin miners because can't yeah. make energy. Like... Well, they use energy. They use energy to, to mine Bitcoin. And you've seen a mining machine, haven't you? You know what they look like? You've sat around one. Yep. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, thanks. Do you want to run back upstairs? See ya. So... Uh, yeah, it's just nice back to your co-host, Daniel. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I can't remember. You you probably met in Amsterdam, um, or saw at least saw us walking around all together. Uh, so, um, yeah. So back to structuring the deal. Uh, if somebody just wanted to buy one of your containers and plug that in for themselves, is there a, a like a price tag on the thing? Yeah, so we, we do have a, a general price tag, but I suppose the kind of joy of our model is that we can basically make them to, to match anything. So I wouldn't really put um, a general price tag on, on one in particular because I suppose the joy of mining, um, and it's something that I didn't mention actually, is that we, we manufacture them completely from scratch. Um, so we went through a process whereby initially, you know, after listening to the likes of, of Marty, et cetera, um, talking about, you know, retrofitting shipping containers, um, I spent quite a lot of time learning as much as I could about that. Um, and what we realized is that for it to work in Ireland, the scale probably isn't just going to be quite as big as these, you know, flare gas miners. So the Great American Minings and the upstreams. Um, and what retrofitting, you know, 20 foot shipping containers might lead to is just having a lot of empty space. 
because you know any given farmer or any given anaerobic digestion plant won't have that much capacity you know they might have 120 kilowatts they might have a, a 250 um, but they're not going to be you know one megawatt three megawatts five megawatts like like the oil and gas guys might have um, so we decided then when we when we partnered up with a, a number of individuals here in Cork to come up with this design to completely make them from scratch. Um, and I suppose the joy of that then is, is that we can make them as 250 kilowatt containers. We can make 120s. We can make 50s. Um, and then the price changes just dependent on that. So when someone comes along to us and says, look, I have 75 kilowatts, we can say, yeah. Grant, you know, we'll just build you a, a 75 kilowatt sized container um, and put in as much rack spaces as needed for the number of machines that would match. Um, so then the price just changes depending on that. There's so much to do here, isn't there? Like, it's so exciting. There, there is uh, so many possibilities. And I know that you've been working closely with, with Troy coming up with uh, ideas and uh, the guys in Madeira have been in, in contact as well, trying to figure out because they got a ton of biogas over there. Mm. that um and they're an island that is completely dependent like their fuel mix is something they're still shipping in like 60 to 70 percent of their diesel for their for the fuel for the mm. island right so this there yeah. is a huge opportunity to be able to take imagine being part of a story where you've taken an island self-sufficient for its energy that mm. that is just so massive yeah, and I suppose it's it's just interesting that, and I kind of something that I'm kind of quite thankful for is that energy is something that I'd never spent any time on, you know, whatsoever. Literally, not a not a second on it throughout my my four years in college, and it was something that generally just didn't really cross my mind. You know, it, it wasn't something that I was particularly interested in, um, and it was through mining and through Bitcoin that I went down the energy rabbit hole, and now I'm just kind of obsessed with the energy side of things, not as much as the Bitcoin and the Bitcoin mining side of things, but. I spend a lot of time now, you know, reading articles and learning about energy. And, you know, yeah. that's what I always I think, which is, as you said, with, with the likes of Madeira, if I can pass on knowledge on, you know, biomass energy and, and even if Bitcoin mining doesn't quite plug in at the end of that process, but they, it ends up being a meaningful contribution to Madeira one way or another by, you know, mining off of or producing biogas off of sugarcane and all the other things that they have over there, then, you know, it's still a great meaningful contribution to Madeira as a whole. And as you said, it's made themselves sufficient. So like anything, I think that when you kind of talk about the, the Bitcoin rabbit hole, people don't even realize that how much it spreads into other things. You know, I inadvertently had to get a, a self-taught degree in, in energy because of the mining. Um, and now I'm so glad I did because it's something that I spend so much time reading about now. And especially, you know, it's interesting that we started the business when we did um, and we got up and running when we did because it's probably been the maddest 12 months definitely in, in my lifetime in energy that, or, you know, you talk to yeah. people that are even older than myself and they're thinking with everything that's gone on with Russian gas and the war and the price of electricity, you know, all time record high electricity prices in Germany and Ireland, everywhere. You're thinking there's probably wasn't, you know, a better time for me to get involved and be kind of in depth in that market and learning as much as I can. Um, and it's obviously like Bitcoin, you know, energy is a market that's never going away. It's, it's a market that's always going to be innovating and, and, and getting more efficient. Um, so I'm quite glad that I've kind of picked up that side of things as well um, throughout this entire process. And as you said, if, if, if Madeira could get a biogas plant up and running and become that bit more self-sufficient, you know, how good a story would that be? Amazing, mate. Yeah, think of like the year you've spent in the energy business, uh, and and also just to throw in the mix of everything else that's happened in that past year. That that undersea pipeline that just mysteriously sprung a leak. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been a, it's definitely been a, been an interesting few months. Um, and as I kind of said earlier, you know, when you asked me, you know, what's keeping us up at night? You know, if we were sitting on the grid at the moment, you know, we wouldn't be here. You know, and it's something that you know we think about quite a bit. Um, and when you look back on the kind of previous two years, you know, myself and Stuart Connie and you know a number of other individuals that have been involved with us, which is, it would have been very easy when the price of electricity in Ireland was 10 cents and the machines were giving you 20 something in revenue to say, you know, let's just go ahead and, and, and buy a load of machines and let's just get plugged in and go for it. And the price of Bitcoin is going up forever. And <laughs> let's just do something simple to get, to get going and start us off. And, and if we had rushed into that and kind of hadn't taken a step back and, and done our due diligence and been as methodical and as slow as we have, have been in, in getting this up and running the right way, you know, we literally, we wouldn't be here. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that would have been the, the killer mistake early on. Um, and we, we, we'd, be, we'd be gone at this stage already. You know, that's how fast and kind of how, how competitive and, and how kind of vicious the market has been, both in an energy and Bitcoin side of things over the past 12 months, that a simple mistake um, and a simple, simple kind of step to say, look, we're, we're going to miss this bull run. We need to move faster would have been, you know, our demise 12 months later. So I think we're kind of lucky as well that we did decide to, to take that step back um, and make that decision, which we did, which is we kind of decided that even in November when Bitcoin was in kind of the 60K range, we kind of just thought at this stage, look, we, we, we probably missed this run. Um, and the more we try to chase it, the worse we're probably going to make this this entire situation for ourselves. So we just took a step back, you know, we not kind of October, even September. It was a kind of simple situation. I suppose that's where, you know, Stuart's, experience and expertise in, in running a business and, and just being involved in business for you know a long long time just for all of us to take a step back and say this isn't going to be the run for us so let's just completely forget that this run is even happening and let's just build as methodically and as slow as we possibly can and do our due diligence and that might pay dividends a lot more than just rushing in and trying to get involved and you know fast forward 12 months as i said um, and that's made all the difference, you know, that literally when, when we think back on the key decisions, when you ask, sorry, just ask, go back to what keeps us up at night. Stuart has said before that he wakes up in the middle of the night nearly thinking, God, if we had, if we had gone done something like that, it'd all be over. So, you know, we're lucky that we didn't. That leads me into like probably the last question before I ask the final question. Um, investment. Uh, where, where are you guys standing uh, with regards to that at the moment, because I know this has all been bootstrapped from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Are you at the point? I mean, you've deployed, you've got some, you've got the the minimum viable product. Isn't is almost um, can't even really call it that. The thing freaking works, right? It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's deployed. It's happening. It's turning yeah. shit into Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. What what what's the business model? What's the plan? Yeah, so I suppose from our perspective, we, we have a few more things now that we're working on um, that hopefully we'll be able to, to let people know about um, in the kind of coming weeks and months. Um, but from our perspective, you know, we have been quite self-sustaining to this point. We're just trying to get more projects up and running, keep demonstrating the model. Um, aside from the business side of things, you know, education is a, a massive thing for us as well. You know, as I said, you know, a lot in Ireland, people sit on the fence. Um, and if they aren't sitting on the fence, they're probably on the the wrong side of it, which is this assumption that it uses Bitcoin uses too much energy. It has no place in Ireland. You know, they demonize data centers. They think, look, anything that adds more, you know, energy consumption to the Irish market should just be done away with. Um, so trying to demonstrate that, you know, 
the strategic and innovative use of an off-grid energy consumer like this can be a net positive as opposed to a, a negative. Um, so talking to you know any anyone we can, obviously I was in Strasbourg with, with OB and another individual was talking to MPs about Bitcoin and mining and how it all plays into the energy market. So if I could t- say that to people here in Ireland and get that education going, that'll obviously be a pretty crucial step for us as well because you know it'll inevitably help down the line. You know when pushback probably comes from people that don't quite understand how this you know process works, and um, to have a number of individuals that have gone through the process with me, you know, showing them, um, will be quite helpful. Um, and then in terms of the kind of business, it, it is just to continue trying to get more sites up and running. You know, the more sites up and running, the more meaningful it seems to a, a number of individuals because I suppose one kind of stumbling block that we've had is that I've had people that have even seen the site in Armagh um, and they've said, look, I have a number of biogas plants, all of which if we were to strike a deal with a supermarket or a, um, a dairy processing plant nearby, we could probably overproduce and we could probably mine with it. But the board here doesn't see uh, Bitcoin mining as an alternative energy asset both on. They just don't see Bitcoin as any kind of future investment or future prospect. Um, and so they think that Bitcoin's going to be gone in the morning, then why on earth do we put a Bitcoin mining site on our plant? And so continuing that kind of education and getting more sites up and running will almost be the litmus test for them. And I do have that in the back of my mind as well, which is one is fantastic you know we're delighted that was a very big milestone for us and you know getting to that you know objective of, of having a large scale site up and running but the more of them that you get up and running and the more energy you know producers and operators that start to incorporate mining into their into their energy mix or their energy portfolio the more that people that are going to be looking over the kind of wall saying okay if that those guys are doing it you know they're an established firm they're incorporating bitcoin mining you know you've shell you've exxon then you know why aren't we doing it um, so that's kind of where we go next, which is more sites, more time spent on education, um, and then hopefully fast forward this time, you know, this time next year, um, and Ireland might be on the map, and you might have, you know, Irish politicians, you might have Irish energy or business owners coming out and saying, you know, we see the the kind of future prospect in mining, and we're making it a part of our portfolio. So that's kind of the, the goal for us over the next twelve months. Love it, mate. And if anybody wants to come in and, and partner with you, there's there's discussions to be had, I'm assuming. Yeah, well, I suppose I suppose from an investment standpoint in us, you know, all we kind of focus on in here, you know, we're always open to it. We're just kind of hell-bent on finding the, the right partner that will make a, a meaningful contribution to us um, and also adopts the same mindset as us, you know, to an extent. Um and that'll want to progress with us, you know, in the same way, you know, ideally kind of in a, a Bitcoin mining mindset, but just, you know, we are obviously open to the, the idea of investment. Um, you know, we, we'd love it to be the, someone that, you know, shares our mindset, our goals, our objectives, um, and can make a meaningful contribution to us. So we're always open to have a, a conversation like that. Perfect. And now I can ask you the final question. And that final question, of course, Mark, is if you had one orange pill left to give to somebody, who would you give it to and why? It's a very good question. If I could give it to somebody. So it's an interesting question because to an extent, I almost don't want to give it to someone that doesn't want to take it. <laughs> you know, that's what's in the back of my mind here, which is, you know, there are a number of people and I'm thinking, you know, do I even want them involved? <laughs> um,
I'm going to give an answer that just because of the past few days I've had, no one's going to know who this is, but I have a friend of mine that got a job, right? He, he sat with us in the office um, in Cork for three months when, when we were building skilling and he was all into Bitcoin and then he got a job in Bank of America. Right. So, <laughs> so he, he spent three months with us um, in the summer of 2021. Um, I won't give you his name, but, you know, he's a really intelligent and really nice guy. Um, and he was into Bitcoin when he was there. You know, he was we were chatting to him about flare gas. He was getting it. He was talking about, you know, oh, even his own idea, which is, you know, Shell could do this and was into the whole space. Um, and from that summer, then he started in Bank of America. Um, in, in that September and since then he's kind of gone down the other the other route um, of thinking I don't think he thinks it's not going to work um, and it's going to be regulated to death um, and that it, it isn't quite you know what he thought it used to be um, so that 12 months in Bank of America has a pretty uh, stern effect on his overall thinking so if I could give it to him and get him to swing back the other way which I'm kind of inadvertently trying my best to do at the moment but if I could do it to save myself the time then I suppose that's the individual that I'd, that I'd give it to Love it, mate. Love it. God damn, that 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 fiat world is so. I mean, that really is the sirens' call, isn't it? All yeah, that... well, it's it's yeah, it's a funny one. It's it's just been interesting for me. You know, I I think you know, as I said, you know, it's a huge, you know, highly intelligent individual that works extremely, extremely hard. Um, and I just it's been interesting from my perspective because it helps me to understand where people like that are coming from um, and this one is just particularly particularly interesting because they were someone that got it to, to an extent and they were kind of open to the idea of it um, and since having the well at this stage it's you know 14 months um, in, in this bank um, I've watched so even by Christmas of last year so you know it's when they came back came back home and we obviously all met up together as, as a group of friends even in the four months that that individual had spent there their mindset on it had it completely, completely changed just because I suppose that it happens naturally though, you know, to an extent it's, it's easy for me to, or anyone to kind of sit and think, Oh, like how could you kind of go so full circle and think this now? But when you're surrounded by, you know, that narrative constantly um, and, you know, you're getting reports from your ESG compliance officer and all these guys that are saying that Bitcoin is, is killing the planet and it's consuming five times the energy that Nigeria does and all these negative things. Now, these are the reports that are probably landing on his desk constantly. Um, and so while I try to dip in every now and again to say, you know, that isn't quite accurate, they're almost being overwhelmed from, from the other side. Um, but for me, it's just been so interesting to see that that transition from, you know, kind of liking Bitcoin and kind of getting it to thinking, you know, it has no value, you know, com you know, thinking of it as a stock that offers, you know, no regular cash flows and, you know, all the kind of traditional mindset or viewpoints now that that this individual kind of takes on um and again it's just been a completely full circle that i've witnessed over 12 months so while i'm doing my best you know, that's actually someone that instantly comes to mind for me but I, I don't know what you know why it happens you know it's something that all i could probably think of it is is that when you're overwhelmed with info from one side or the other um, and i try my best to kind of stay honest in this which is Whenever something new kind of comes to the comes to the forefront of, of Bitcoin and, or even mining, I try my best to learn about it and you know question my own beliefs because I don't personally I think if you're not, then you're not quite verifying. You're 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 at that stage where you're trusting. No matter how long you've been in the Bitcoin space, if you're not kind of constantly you know questioning your conviction with new stuff that appears, then you know how can you be so sure that after being in the space for four years that it's the same space that you were in when you started? 
Um, so I do that all the time anyway. Um, but this person's obviously, you know, had the litmus test and gone the complete opposite direction. Um, so it's just been interesting for me to try and find out why and then try and, and, and kind of deal with the points that they make. Yeah, it's such a tough one. And I mean, Jesse's piece, Croesus wrote an article, uh, you know, about the yuppie elites. I don't know if you've ever come across that one. Uh, what's keeping the yuppie elite from understanding Bitcoin? You know, what are these high barriers to entry for for those people in those kinds of positions? Um, and I, I only thought of this just over the last night, just mulling it around in my in my mind, uh, because there's a lot baked in with um Ego, we talk about ego a lot, and that's why Jeff called his firm Ego Death because you know you've got to get your ego out of the way to make uh, it even one sixteenth of a way down the rabbit hole, right? Otherwise, you're just going to bounce straight back out. <clears throat> and identity, uh, which uh, Croesus talks about a lot in in that piece, uh, yeah. and I suffered uh, a loss of identity when I walked away from my high flying career in finance, which. But when you merge the two, I get the word ego identity, and I think it's perfect because you've got so much ego and so much of your identity merged into this one thing. And, you know, the individual that you're talking about right now probably worked very much towards getting a job in finance and had a lot of the sunk cost fallacy to deal with and a lot of pressure from parents and social circles or whatever else to finally get that job, you know, the golden path into the big world of finance and banking. And you know, it's been one of the best paying sectors for the last two decades for reasons we're obviously all aware of for those of us down the Bitcoin rabbit hole and understand fiat incentives. But when you've got that ego identity all tied up and attached to that one thing, mm -hmm. you will hang on to it. And all of the incentives around that attached to, to that as well, like he's going to get, or she, whoever, whoever's listening and, and has friends in the same situation, they've got the carrot hanging over their heads of VP next year. And the year after that, you'll be you know, running your own desk or your own division. You have this perpetual fiat incentive motion machine that just keeps you in that ego identity and in that seat and in that institution and in that mindset. And it's so damn powerful. And all of the social construct around you keeps you there as well because they want you to be there because that's what you studied for and it becomes part of their story as well, especially mm -hmm. your parents and your aunties and your uncles and your cousins or whatever else. Oh, yeah, well, little Johnny, little Susie, she made it big. She works in the big city now at Bank of America and so much rides on it. And it's very difficult to break away from it. Uh, I experienced it myself going through it. It's very difficult uh, when you smash that. Um, so... So much of it is baked in and it's all, it all comes back to fiat money being broken completely. And, you know, here we are with Bitcoin. Bitcoin fixes all of this. And, uh, and hopefully those curious enough will do the work to, um, to start understanding what it is and why it is and fall down the rabbit hole that they need to fall down. But, uh, that's probably a good place to uh, to leave it. And I want to ask you, uh, yeah, sorry, I think you just froze, but I've got you back. That's um, it's probably a good place to leave it right there, mate. It's been just at the very end, yeah, yeah. It's been it's been an excellent rip. Thank you, uh, thank you for putting up with a, a little bit of uh, unstable, um, 
video every now and then. Uh, but I do want to make sure people find out where to find you if they're interested in learning more about what you're doing, what skilling are doing, um, how they might be able to help, whether they can put you in contact with anyone, whether they want to invest in any way or partner. What's the best way to reach out to you guys? Yeah, so I suppose to get in contact with me directly, the, the best thing to go to is just my email, which is just mark at skillingmining.com. Um, our website is skillingmining.com. Um, and our Twitter is, is at skillingmining. So I suppose if you want to contact me directly, um, that, you have my email. Um, and then if you want to just generally kind of stay up to date in what we're doing, I generally put up you know any announcement that we have or anything that we're focusing on or anything that we're interested in um, or chatting about at the time, we put it all up on our, on our Twitter. Um, so following our Twitter at, at Skilling Mining is a is a good way to keep track of, of what we're at. And, you know, hopefully all going well. We might have, you know, a few more things to to, to let people know that we're at over the next kind of coming weeks and months. Um, but if anyone ever wants any info or anyone wants any kind of sit down or chat with me, I'm always doing my best to, to just reply to people um, whenever, I, whenever I have the time um, and just give them a, a brief intro to mining, whether it be biogas, whatever it might be. Um, so feel free to reach out um, to my email, mark at skillingmining.com. All right, excellent. Well, thanks for coming on, brother. And I look forward to meeting you again one day on the conference scene, I'm sure next year. We'll be bouncing around Europe. I'm sure we'll get to run into each other. And I know you, well, you're pretty unmissable. So don't be surprised if you get a tap <laughs> on your shoulder or a... Uh, hopefully, pull, yeah. Pull on your coat. Uh, anyway, yeah. Well, great. hopefully, yeah, Europe, Europe, and the UK is putting themselves on the map now a bit, but a few conferences of our own. So hopefully, there'll be a couple more um, in the new year. But I appreciate it, Daniel, as well. It's been a pleasure. Cheers, brother. Take care. Have a great day. Cheers, man. Thanks, Daniel. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that rip with Mark from Skilling, and I hope you've got a a better understanding now of um, what biogas is. So when you are having these discussions with the greenies in your life, the, those people that have been greenwashed into believing that cow farts are bad for the environment and our planet is about to fall out of the sky, the next catastrophe is just around the corner and it's all because of humans and we are the scourge, the virus that walks this planet. You are now armed with a much better response, hopefully, and you can start quoting people like Mark there's other people out there as well that are doing great work in this uh, this field loads of guys out in the uh, in the US uh, Harry Sudok springs to mind and of course the upstream data guys Steve Barber and Adam doing great work uh, yeah let's do it guys let's go now is the time we got to stop all the nonsense over you know Bitcoin is bad for the environment this is complete and utter bullshit good luck orange pilling your friends and family this Christmas. There is a there is a great way you can do this, by the way. This is an unofficial shield for Consensus Network. That's with a K. Nico's been on the show. He's been on Safe Show recently as well. I just priced up every English language book they have available, which includes the Fiat Standard, the Bitcoin Standard, uh, everything there is divided by 21 million, and a few others. You can get six English books on there for under 80 pounds if you use the code bitten at checkout and if you pay via the lightning network you get 10% discount each for those things that's ridiculous you can like that that is so cheap the amount of knowledge packed into those books so think about that if you are passing books around your friends and family this christmas or if you're building a library if you've got a co-working space or something of that nature 
Uh, make sure you hit up the show sponsors. You know who they are. Swan Bitcoin, Relay, Coin Corner, and Hoddle Hoddle. You can start stacking sats with all of those companies. Then you can test out a coin join. Go to wasabiwallet.io and see if that is a kind of service that you're interested in playing around with. But make sure you are self-custodying your coins. I want to leave you with that thought. Shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten. Use the code bitten at checkout. You will get 5% discount. Please put this on your Christmas list or just buy it and wrap it up for yourself and put it under the tree. It's very important. You are in control. If you want to get to a conference in 2023, look out for BTC Prague. Links are in the show notes. If you use the code BITTEN at checkout, you'll get 10% discount. If you're a noob and you want to learn about Bitcoin, you can literally pay 10 euros and you will get into like the fan zone where, where all of the streaming live videos will be. You don't even need to go into the main event, but even that is only going to be about 170 euros. So check it out. If you want to get to Miami 2023, the big one, go hang with all of the plebs over there. It's a huge deal. You can use code BITTEN at checkout for 10% off. Look on the show notes. Check out my link tree. Every single Bitcoin pleb that is offering you guys a discount that is aligned with this show, there's a link on there. You can find it, click it. It will take you through. If there's any questions, always ask me. But you got some great companies on there. Scott and Mallory are on there with the Shamari games and the books and a host of other things as well. So thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope you enjoyed this rip. I'll catch you on the next show.